Tonight, News Channel 9's Raymond Mesa takes a look at the newest character to make its way into Latin American folklore. According to legend, he hides under the cover of night and preys on small animals like dogs, cats, and his favorite target, goats, sucking them dry of their blood. Hence, its name, Chupacabras, or Goat Sucker. According to information we retrieved through the Internet, the Chupacabras is a Puerto Rican mythical creature blamed for dozens of attacks on livestock. Sightings of the creature and reports of animal attacks have come in from all over Latin America. You can accept it or be stupid and be a skeptic. Unconceivable, unbelievable, unidentified flying objects. I want to Welcome to the I Wanna Believe podcast. This is the fourth bonus episode of season five. I'm Nomar Slavic. Tonight we're getting into the cryptid that had the mid 90s and early aughts shook. I'm going to be sharing some chupacabra stories. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to give a quick reminder that you can follow us at 207Believe on Instagram. Feel free to DM some show topic ideas. My latest book, We Only Come Out at Night, is available for purchase. This book is a collection of short horror stories and can be found online at slubbickstore.company.site and at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. Shout out to Michelle Sawyer. Also, my documentary, Otherworldly Amour, has a new home. It is streaming exclusively on Paraflix Paranormal Plus. This is a subscription service, much like Netflix, and offers monthly or yearly subscriptions. Once subscribed, you have access to not only Otherworldly Amour, but hundreds of other paranormal shows, documentaries, and even horror movies. By using the code OTHERWORLDLYAMOR10 at checkout, you can get 10% off your first three months. That's OTHERWORLDLYAMOR, A-M-O-R-1-0. All right, let's get into some Chupacabra stories. I was totally shocked because I had never seen anything that looked like this animal looked. It's called the Chupacabra, and wherever it's reported, it leaves its mark. They're actually taking chickens and livestock and actually sucking the blood out of them. From Puerto Rico to the U.S. mainland, the mystery deepens. The animal was probably not a dog, probably not a coyote. Now what? While most predators eat their prey, these attacks were different. There was no blood coming out of them in any place. Just, it, was just, it was just bizarre. They wake up some one morning and find the carcass of their four favorite rabbits sucked dry of blood and just lying there on the ground. Witnesses describe a bizarre four-legged hairless creature with back legs much longer than the front legs, making the beast appear to look like a cross between a canine and a kangaroo with razor-sharp fangs. Stories. 
Story number one. This first story comes from darksidestories.org. It was posted by an anonymous user. This story takes place in Washington State, in the city of Vancouver. In 2004, I was a freshman in high school. At the time, my mother had a paper route for the Colombian newspaper. It was a long route that had us going to upper-class neighborhoods as well as more rural areas in the outskirts of the city. It took from 3 a.m. to around 5 a.m. to complete. The task began like any other. We loaded the papers into the van and headed out. The way the route was planned, we would start with the inner city and work our way out. We were getting to the section of the route that made my mother the most nervous. You guessed it, it was a dirt road with a dense forest on either side, and the only lights were the ones coming from our van. We had to drive slow due to the dirt having been turned to mud from the rain, when suddenly an animal hopped out in front of us. I grew up in Northern California and have seen coyotes, bears, deer, fox, and mountain lions. But this was weird. The only way I can describe it was a sick or mutated kangaroo. Its head and snout were short like a hyena. The body was thin with dark rough skin and tufts of grayish hair in random places. It had longer back legs than its front legs and its spine was protruding unnaturally. It had large teeth and dog-like paws with long toes. This thing hopped in front of our van, stopped, and looked right at my mother. It got low to the ground for a moment and then bounced away on its back legs. I remember my mother just sitting there, not being able to speak for a moment. Then she turned to me and asked if I had seen it, to which I said I had. We went on with the route not saying much else. I don't think she was scared, just in awe. She thinks we saw a chupacabra, but I'm not totally sure what it was. All I can say is that I'm glad we were in the car. Descriptions of this devil differ depending on who you ask, but a few key features are usually mentioned. A large, reptile-like creature with greenish-gray skin, about the size of a small bear, and sporting a terrible row of razor-sharp spines that stretch from its neck all the way down to its tail. They supposedly stand on two legs, moving around like some kind of creepy kangaroo. Though other depictions of El Chupacabra describe the monster as an unknown menacing breed of wild dog, hairless, with a spine that sticks out, claws and fangs, and extra large eyes. Story, story number two. This next one is from the subreddit Chiluminati Pod by user Related Reality. This story is from my time in the National Guard. I don't remember the exact year, but somewhere between 2012 and 2015. For obvious reasons, I can't give exact specifics on some aspects, but I will share as much as HIPAA and the military allows. For context, I was a combat medic and I was doing my two-week training somewhere in the California desert. My duties were to provide medical support for the soldiers doing combat training and drills. Sometime during the two weeks I was running the clinic, 
we received a call that a soldier was coming in because of an animal attack. Me, my sergeant who was above me, and our lieutenant who was a physician's assistant all gave each other looks like, what the fuck are we about to see? After some time, the ambulance arrived from the field and brought this guy, and I triaged him. At this point in the story, everything went off the rails. The guy had several lacerations on his face about two to four inches. I cleaned up the wounds and dressed them the best I could and wrote up my report. The soldier told me they were out doing a night patrol when something in the darkness jumped him, attacked his face, and then disappeared into the night. After the lieutenant talked to him, he wrote down his official story, which to this day is a part of official military record. This is a real document, although I highly doubt anyone could find it since it's a sealed military document. He wrote down in his report that the soldier was attacked by an unknown animal while out in the desert. A lot of us there said it was probably a bat attack, but some thought it could have been a chupacabra attack. We took the soldier to a hospital where he was given a round of rabies shots, and as far as I know, he was okay. This story obviously spread like wildfire throughout the base and quickly he became known as Chupacabra Man. And I even think he was interviewed, although I can't confirm that he was. But I did hear that people would come from all over the base to talk to this guy about his story the two weeks that I was there. Was he really attacked by a Chupacabra or some other cryptid or was it just a bat? You decide. Reports of El Chupacabras occur everywhere from Puerto Rico, where it actually originated, to Maine. Whenever one is sighted or found dead, the international press latches onto the story with the same intensity as the bloodsucker itself. Some believe it is a freak of nature. Others are convinced it was a culmination of mass hysteria. But it's said to be a monster that doesn't normally hunt humans. So why are we so afraid of it? Story number three. Three, three, three. This story was posted in the darkstories.org forum by user cphilly100. We used to live in a little log cabin up in Gold Hill, Colorado, the first actually profitable mining town in Colorado, and home to rock star and singer-songwriter Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. We had no running water, but the compound itself is a true Colorado mountain gem, surrounded on all sides by a national forest and the Bureau of Land Management. We frequently saw bobcats, coyotes, mountain lions, and black bears wandering around the grounds, with nary a care in the world. West of town by a couple of miles is a forest service road that takes you out to some pretty massive cliffs. One afternoon, my two friends, let's call them M and T, and their dog Duke, were rock climbing out in that area. When it started getting dark, they decided to head back to the truck, but somehow, they got a little turned around and wound up on the wrong ridgeline. As they turned around, a black bear was on the trail behind them, but it merely sauntered off and M and T retraced their route back up to the proper ridgeline. When they reached the intersection of the two adjoining ridgelines, they saw what they thought was a mangy mountain lion in the failing light up ahead on the hillside. 
M rushed toward it with his flashlight and shotgun to get a better look. The supposed mountain lion jumped back behind some rocks, and when M got around the corner to get a better look at it, he saw that this was no mountain lion at all. He described it as some kind of creepy, cat-like, flesh-covered creature with skinny arms and legs and razor-sharp claws on its flesh-covered hands. The beast, being cornered, then did something truly strange. It closed one eye, and the remaining open eye started changing colors. It then lifted up its forearms, which had some sort of flesh-like wing flaps, almost like a flying squirrel, and it leapt up into a tree a good 15 to 20 feet away. M followed this thing with his flashlight as it started jumping from tree to tree, never taking its one eye off of M. During this encounter, Duke had run away, but when M and T got back to their truck, they were terrified to find that the dog was in the bed of the truck with that creature. M ran up to the back of the truck and the creature jumped out and ran off into the woods. Duke, a dog that fearlessly fought off mountain lions and coyotes without so much as a whimper, was literally shaking with fear. When I asked M what he thought it was, the only thing he could muster was, I don't know, man. Chupacabra. While the creature descriptions varied, the result of the attacks were the same. The hallmark of chupacabras is not its physical description because people don't agree on what it looks like. Its hallmark is the dead animals it leaves behind. And that still leaves just who or what is responsible for the killings. Story, story number four. This next story was posted by an anonymous user in the darkstories.org forum. I was around 16 years old and I was spending the night at my friend Kelly's house. There was this forest that we always enjoyed hiking in. This forest in particular looked as if it was once some sort of park. On one of our longer treks, we discovered a sign and a few rotting benches at the third lake located in the deepest part of the woods. There were also plenty of generally well-kept trails, sheds, and piers. During the sleepover, Kelly and I planned to go out hiking around midnight in the woods. We had done so other times before with no problem, just the sounds of crickets chirping, frogs croaking, and the occasional rustle of a small animal in the bushes, accompanied by the sense of serenity. The woods we normally hiked were located just down Kelly's road. The road was a dead end that looped around, and beyond this dead end was a gate that marked the border into the woods. There was a sign on the gate that warned others no trespassing, but of course, we paid no heed every time and would just jump the gate. Unlike the previous nights we went hiking, we came prepared with flashlights and two dogs. One a very young, rambunctious mutt, and the other an elderly lab. It started out normally, until we neared the forest. We both started to get that uneasy feeling. Something just wasn't right this time. The woods, after all, seemed oddly quiet that night, but we pushed on nonetheless. We jumped the gate and headed down the trail. 
The trail takes a right within a few feet, and a few feet after that, the trail splits off into a Y. If you were to take a left, you'd head deeper into the forest and by the lake. And taking a right would lead you to other dead-end roads within Kelly's community. As we approached the Y, we started to hear rustling around us, but assumed it to be just some other skittish animals. I stopped suddenly, bringing my friend to a halt. For some reason, I couldn't bring myself to take that left. I let Kelly know and she reassured me that she had felt the same way since the start. We were both scanning the trees with our lights until my eyes caught a fallen tree that seemed to block half the path to our left. I then felt the hairs on my neck rise just looking at it. I questioned Kelly about that tree as the dogs slowly made their way to it at the same time to investigate. As we were discussing the tree, Kelly quickly choked up. She was quick to tell me that as the younger dog prodded at the tree, two yellow eyes jumped up from behind it. We took a couple of steps back and quickly paced ourselves out of there. We didn't run because we felt if the dogs weren't freaking out, neither should we. But we sure as hell weren't going to stay. An unfamiliar voice spoke from the other side of the door. Let me her hand reflexively grasped the knob, unable to control her own movements. The door opened. A monstrous being stood before her. She gagged at its stench and fell to her knees. It stood in the doorway. A black substance dripped from its body and puddled at its feet. It looked down at her and said, that's a good girl. Now aren't you going to invite me in? She shook her head back and forth as tears streamed from her eyes. It smiled a depraved grin revealing black, rotted teeth. It said, Still following daddy's advice about strangers. While he's in hell, he burns over and over and over again. We Only Come Out at Night, the brand new book from Nomar Slavic. 33 horror fiction stories that will remind you that what lies beyond the darkness only comes out at night. We Only Come Out at Night is available only in print and can be found at slubbickstore.company.site or at the Greenhand Bookshop at greenhandbookshop.com. As we were walking down the road and about a fourth of the way from the woods, we heard some crashing around and then two very loud thuds or something like that against the concrete. And it sounded as though it was running towards us. It took at least four more thuds before it turned off into the woods on our right. From then, we could hear it crashing through the brush behind us. We didn't stop until we were catching our breath on the lighted patio of Kelly's house. Kelly had then spotted those same eyes bobbing up and down from the thickets in front of her house before we went inside. We wanted to tell Kelly's mother what happened when, all of a sudden, the dogs began to growl and bark. 
sure enough, as we went out to investigate, both dogs had their tails up and barking towards the thicket, but neither dared to enter. I paced along the border of the thicket while Kelly stayed on the patio. I started making noises to see if I could get a response of some sort. Apparently, just after I howled, Kelly heard a low growl that sent her running back into the house. A couple of days after this encounter, she began to hear noises. She heard screams and howls in the woods, and even some nights, she would hear growling and bumping underneath or on the side of her house. These sounds lasted for a few more nights, until the woods finally became silent again. Was it a werewolf or even a chupacabra? We don't know. But we don't go into the woods late at night anymore. Worldwide, sheep, horses, goats, pigs, rabbits, cats, dogs, bison, deer and elk have all been reported mutilated with similar bloodless excisions. Oftentimes ears, eyeballs, tongue and other organs have also been removed. In most cases, mutilated wounds appear to be clean cut and precise, and mutilated animals are usually, although not always, drained of blood. So serious are these mutilations taken that they have been the subject of two independent federal investigations in the United States. Story, story number five. Five, 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 five. This last story was posted by Grace A. in the darkstories.org forums, and I did want to give a content warning about a graphic description of a deer carcass. I'd like to start off by saying that I'm a skeptic, at least for the most part. I do think that cryptids and ghosts and other phenomena exist, but I also believe that the best way to undeniably prove that they do truly exist is to eliminate any possible explanations for what mundane, everyday occurrences could be happening instead. I'm an animal scientist and a biologist by trade, and I've had the importance of data collection drilled into me for years. And I believe it applies to unexplained phenomena just as much as it does to physical, structured, scientific research. I did have an experience in my life that I absolutely cannot explain by any means whatsoever. I've thought about it a lot throughout the years and have never come up with any satisfactory explanations. I was born and grew up in Kansas City, Kansas. I lived about 15 or 20 minutes from the Missouri border, so a good chunk of my childhood was spent split between the two states. When I was a kid, I was involved in Girl Scouts, as were several friends of mine. I was, and still am, a lover of everything wilderness and camping related. So of course, I went on every single camping trip offered by the Scouts. When I was in 8th grade, me and my Girl Scout troop were looking into doing a seasonal camping trip. We decided on a camp in western Missouri, about an hour from where we lived. The camp, which I'll call Camp T for anonymity's sake, was situated in the middle of a forest and offered plenty of trails to walk and explore and a huge wooden cabin to sleep in. We planned on doing some hiking, plant and wildlife identification, and working on completing our silver awards. The weekend of the trip arrived and we made the drive out to the campsite with one of our troop leaders acting as chauffeur. 
everything looked exactly the same as I had remembered. Beautiful sylvan surroundings, vibrant red and orange leaves on the trees, fresh air, expansive natural areas to roam in and explore. Ghosts, hives, and uneasy feelings were in the very back of my mind and were the least of my worries. For a couple of hours at least. The other girls and I made some plans for the afternoon and evening. Me and two of the girls, who I'll call Eva and Courtney, wanted to walk the trails in the area and look for animal tracks and cool plants and get some exercise in. The third girl, let's call her Jamie, wasn't feeling up to hiking and stayed behind with our chauffeur at the cabin to prepare dinner and discuss what to make for breakfast the next day. Eva, Courtney, and I decided to walk the main trail, which amounted to about two miles round trip. It circled out from our cabin, across a hillside, past the camp owner's house, and through a densely forested part of the area. We were all huge nature geeks and thought we could handle anything the forest threw at us. Eva and I both wanted to be exotic animal vets at the time, and Courtney regularly went hunting with her father and we were all fairly experienced in camping and hiking. We headed off with a pep in our step and smiles on our faces, ready to pretend to be explorers and make some cool discoveries. If only we had known exactly what we would discover on that hike. We had made it to about the halfway point of the trail when it suddenly got dead silent in the woods. If you know anything about camping, hiking, or wilderness survival, you know that this is never a good sign. We saw a strange, indistinguishable lump on the path in front of us. Curious, we got closer to check it out. I now wish that we would have stopped and turned back as soon as it got silent. But we were curious 13 and 14 year olds and thought we were invincible. We crept closer to the strange lump and began to make out what it was. A sense of dread crept over me as I realized what exactly we had stumbled across. On the trail in front of us was a completely eviscerated deer carcass. The top of the head was laying in the middle of the path. The ears and snout were intact, but the eyes were gone. The bottom jaw and part of the neck had been ripped off, exposing the tongue, trachea, and esophagus. The spinal cord was hanging out of the back of the head and had been snapped clean in half, though the other half was nowhere to be seen. Off to the side of the path were some of the poor deer's organs. Intestines strung out for several feet, liver and stomach nearby, but that was it. No torso, no lungs or heart or legs or random bones. And perhaps most disturbingly, absolutely no blood and no footprints from what might have killed or eaten the deer. I've done countless animal dissections since then and have seen enough slaughterhouse corpses and procedures, but this remains one of the most graphic and disturbing things I've ever seen, and thinking of it still makes me nauseous to this day. What the hell? Courtney whispered under her breath as we approached the deer. Eva was completely speechless, wide-eyed and frozen in fear. What the heck did this? I asked Courtney, assuming she knew the most about local predators from her hunting background. I don't know, 
It could have been coyotes. They mostly hunt small animals, but they never leave a deer out in the open near humans like this. They're scavengers. They'd eat all of it, she said. I pulled out my laughably small pocket knife. Do you think it could have been a mountain lion? I know they've been spotted a couple of times in Kansas and Missouri. I doubt it, she said. There haven't been any sightings near this area, and an animal that big would have surely been spotted by one of the camp workers, and they would have closed the camp down, she added. Courtney grabbed her pocket knife as well, and Eva, who didn't have her knife with her, put a hand on her metal water canteen so she could at least have something to attack with, other than just her hands if it came down to it. We were all silent for a moment. A feeling of dread built up in my stomach. There aren't any large predators in western Missouri. We have coyotes, foxes, and bobcats, but nothing that would or could do something like this to a large, fully grown deer. No bears, nor wolves, very rarely mountain lions, and as Courtney said, we would have been notified if there were a mountain lion in the area, since they tend to be pretty noticeable and are extensively monitored by wildlife officials. We all glanced at each other and came to a silent agreement to get the hell out of there. We took off running at full speed down the trail. When we got back to camp, we burst through the cabin doors, panting and speaking coherently, startling Jamie and our chauffeur, who looked at us like we were crazy. Eva and I were holding back tears. We were both huge softies and had never even seen a horror movie before, much less a poor, torn-up dead animal. Courtney was wide-eyed and speechless and seemed to be on the verge of a panic attack. We explained what we saw to Jamie and the camp leader, and they both became noticeably uncomfortable. We were so freaked out that we ended up staying inside, playing cards, working on assignments for badge requirements, and talking about random nonsense to distract ourselves the rest of the evening. We all slept restlessly when we finally went to bed that night. I couldn't fall asleep for what seemed like hours because I was paranoid that someone or something was looking at us through the cabin windows. We packed up and left early the next morning. I spoke to the other girls in the car ride on the way home and they all had felt a sense of being watched the night before too. Needless to say, that was the last time any of us ever went to Camp T. Unfortunately, our troop kind of fell apart after that. We just didn't have the motivation to continue anything camping related or even scout related. We all got our silver rewards at the end of the 8th grade year and then left Girl Scouts at the beginning of high school. I'm just thankful that none of us were harmed or horribly mentally scarred from this experience, which could have potentially turned out dangerous or even deadly. I'm 24 now and still keep in touch with Eva, Courtney, Jamie, and others, and I'm happy to report that we're all doing great and haven't had any more run-ins with strange creatures, eviscerated animals, or even ghosts. Jamie and Eva are both married and have become a teacher and a physical therapist, respectively. Courtney is an extremely talented professional horse trainer, and I have since moved to Oregon and am continuing my education to earn a PhD in wildlife biology. I want to continue learning about and helping the wild animals and plants I love so much. 
And who knows, maybe I'll encounter another strange, unexplainable occurrence in the woods. Or maybe I'll even find some answers to exactly what happened at Camp T. But the eyewitnesses remain skeptical that what they saw was merely a dog or coyote. This creature is not only like nothing I had ever seen before in my life, but no one I ever talked to had ever seen anything like it. And witnesses in Puerto Rico believe no dog could have been responsible for the grisly animal killings. So while the evidence points to a dog or dog hybrid, those who have seen the monster they call the Chupacabra believe it is something entirely new. And those who see monsters like this may in fact be witnessing an evolutionary jump to a new species of tomorrow. I'm very convinced that their possibility is here for some type of unknown animal. I've talked to too many people, I've looked at too many pictures, I've done research, I know animals, and I know that this is a very different, strange animal. What do you think they saw in the woods? What could have attacked that deer so viciously? I don't know. But thanks so much for joining me on this bonus episode of the I Want to Believe podcast. We ran through some truly terrifying encounters with a creature that many of the witnesses thought to be a chupacabra. If you have an encounter with a chupacabra or any other creature that you'd like to share, please feel free to drop us an email and we may share it on a future episode. Our address is 207beliefpodcast at gmail.com. Season 5 is now out and streaming. We've got 10 all-new episodes covering everything from UFO landings to black-eyed kids, cults, and more. There's some bonus episodes that have already aired. And if you can, check out my books and other projects at slevicstore.company.site. And if you want, give us a follow on Instagram at 207belief. There's more bonus episodes on the way. Thanks so much for your support, and thanks so much for listening. I'm Nomar Slevin. You brought me to the cinema.